Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community, whether you fly a UAS or an RPAS or anything in between. This week's program, Infamous Theory of Enforcement. I know it sounds dramatic and kind of like a Quinn Martin production, but it's not. I'm your program host, Patrick Egan, and as always, let's say hello and welcome to our infamous co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. What's going on, Gene? Hello, Patrick, Mr. World Traveler. Glad to see you're back. Things are going well here in Texas. We're going to be flying again, so I'm pretty happy about that. Well, there's like a long ton of stuff going on (laughs) in the community these days. I'm a you know, what is that? We have, we have some of these good things, but I'm, I've been a busier than a tick on a hound dog. Um, I know that... Uh, no, that's tighter than a tick on a hound dog. <laughs> yeah. Busier than a one-armed paper hanger in a windstorm. <laughs> that's busy. <laughs> Got to get a stick for that one. But, uh, yeah, so, I, you know, um, usually this is like the part of the program where I say, well, you know, um, hey, uh, what, what news stories caught your attention this week, Gene? But uh, more and more, <laughs> it's like I should say, what news stories were you in this week, Gene? <laughs> uh, well, gosh. I don't know that uh, a lot of our listeners know, but I imagine most of them do. But uh, you know, the involvement with the, uh, the the cease and desist case that we had with the Federal Aviation Administration, and trying to determine how much of that was uh, actually real, or you know, whether they could uh, actually do that or not, and it was disappointing. Uh, we did. We went back and forth, and and uh, I'm sure most everyone knows that uh, I've been. You know, in support of the case, I have been doing exactly as I was told to do and not fly. And I got to tell you, this is one of the hardest periods of time that I've gone through because I get calls, several calls a week to come and help people that have missing loved ones. And to have to say, no, I can't has been a real struggle for me, especially when it's like in my neighborhood. We've had a couple in my neighborhood even that I had to tell my own, my my local chief and my friend, no, I can't. That's been rough. Yeah, well, I know, you know, I mean, you know, again, let me just reiterate. I mean, you you do this with uh, RP search services, and it's a 501c3. And, you know, I mean, I've known you for a long time. It's most of the people that I know that are industry insiders, and you've officially made the industry insider list now that, you know, I kind of joke about that with people. But, like, when you're sending messages back and forth to other people in the industry uh, through the Wall Street Journal or the FAA's releasing press releases about you or you know, stuff like that. You've arrived, Gene. You are an industry insider now, like it or not. But, I, I uh, guess so. It's not, uh, again, it's more of an idealism thing than um, a for-profit thing. You know. Cause, uh, Certainly. I... Well, and I know that it must be hard for you, being an idealist, to say, no, I can't come out here and help you find little Jimmy or, 
you know, Aunt Susie or whatever else. Uh, it must be a heartbreaker. I mean, on both sides of that deal, again, my hat's off to you on that deal. I mean, dealing with the people and all the rest of that. Holy mackerel. That's, uh, that's a tough one. And then just to say, oh, yeah, I got it here. I can, I could help, but I can't help because I got, you know, the bureaucracy on my back. I mean, how do you cope with that? What do you do? Lots of Lone Stars or what? Uh, <laughs> well, I've even given those up. I mean, I'm no fun to be around anymore. I like a, a bad country song, you know, since I quit drinking, I'm, you know, I'm no fun. But, um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty rough. Uh, uh, sometimes but uh you know we we go out there and we do the best we can and we we've done a pretty good job of it over the years and i've i've gotten you know a lot of satisfaction out of that and that helps more than anything else but uh yeah the 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 frustration of having to deal with uh, the bureaucracy has been one of the hardest periods but uh you know i've also learned a lot you know and and there is a lot of good that came out of it we did well, find yeah. out some things that we didn't know before yeah, and I, I do think, uh, you know, some folks are, uh, there are people have been kind of all over the map with this one. You know, anytime something like this happens, well, what does it mean? And some people are saying, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm all over that Twitter thing, like stink on a monkey. Um, you know, some people are saying, where's the victory on this deal? And I said, uh, you know, really where it is is uh, one more arbitrary made-up policy vehicle bites the dust. You know, just because you say so or send me an email or, you know, smoke signals or, you know, Morse code or whatever, that's that's not the official. That's not how it's legally done. So, you know, let's get your act together. Clean up your backyard before you're you're trying to lay this uh, these edicts on me, please. And I think that that's where the victory is. Hey, look, we're not going to be pushed around anymore. Um, You know, that we actually have people now that will step up to the. The plate, say, and, and 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 advocate for this community, and and what would you say about them? Yeah, I agree. And and one of the things that uh, I think is going to probably have a, a deeper and more pronounced effect is we we've known that the FAA really hasn't had an enforcement arm, mm-hmm. and as a pilot, I'm sure anyone who has been out there and has had a ramp check, if if you know what that is, it's where the safety inspector comes up and he says, okay, he says, I want to look in your airplane and see if you have documents and show me your license. And it's basically like being pulled over by a cop. Well, interestingly enough, that one of the things that came out of this case is, is that any of those guys that are out there doing that, any employees of the FAA, according to this case, are now acting in an advisory role. They can only advise you that you're in violation of the FARs. Hmm. But they can't do much after that because it takes something from legal counsel, general counsel, to make it official. That's interesting because, you know, on one hand, and we wanted to get into that edict, the special edict, and some other things that are transpiring with the uh, FAA. But, you know, on one hand, it really seems like they're trying to tighten the noose. And then on the other hand, it's like you're tightening, you know, you're setting up the trap, uh, but you're really not using the right equipment uh, or you're not going about it correctly, which, again, it goes back and speaks volumes to the right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing. And meanwhile, the circus is in full swing out there in, um, in the nest. So I do oh, yeah. think, 
you know, I do think that this is a good thing. Again, I'm going to take this opportunity because a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, uh, you're always beating up on somebody. Well, you know what? I mean, you know, Brandon's a good guy. You know, I call him a kid. I don't know exactly how old he is, but, you know, I call him the kid. Uh, it really, you know, it, it, I, I mean, my hat's off to him for what he's doing, and it's a lot of work, and he's, he's going out there, and he's doing all of this. And some people, you know, I, I have seen on some of the boards where people are blaming Brendan and, and Trappy for what's coming out on the FAA. You know, our cab had been down that road before. This stuff has been in the pipe, and I call it the pipe and not the pike, since uh, early 2000, after uh, 9-11. And there sure. were some Homeland Security things or whatever, you know, and, and I've made a joke out there that Trappy was probably still playing with Legos when, you know, uh, the government really started looking at this technology. So, you know, just keep, you know, this is not because Trappy came along or Brandon came along that this stuff is happening. No. Wheels move very slowly, and this is going on here. Uh, it's been going on for a long time. I just what it does bother me. One one thing that does bother me um, that I will state is, you know, that there are associations with you know millions and millions and millions of dollars, and they have sat back and did nothing. But I have to say that it has come back to roost because they look stupid. You know, and I don't think I have to mention any names because most of the listeners probably already know what association I'm talking about. Um, you know, tons of resources, tons of people, tons of staff, uh, you know, Congress's ear and all the rest of that. And they, they just haven't been able to do anything. What's the problem? I, I look at that and it, it bugs me. I don't know. What do you think, Gene? Too, am I being too critical? Well, no, 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 no. Yeah, see, we're we're being failed on several different counts here. Not only the, the the large organization that you talked about, who supposedly is the advocacy for unmanned aircraft, but also on the other end for the modelers as well, because this has been a natural kind of evolution of the 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 guy in the garage, you know, building up his model and and going out and doing it because the electronics have gotten more sophisticated. And, and I've got to admit that that organization, and you and I both know, ha- has failed uh, in the very beginning with the ARC, uh, the first ARC, because they didn't want to participate. They said, oh, that's commercial. We don't do any of that. And here we are. History has shown that that has been a very bad move because now they are involved neck deep. They have an MOU with the FAA, and they're trying to work out this deal, and they should have been engaged from the beginning. Uh, I, uh, yes, and, and but the you know the other thing, in, in, in fairness, because you know I don't want to you know seem like uh, not being fair, but in fairness, I will say, I mean you know our whole federal government has really changed, and this is one thing you know. I mean I started out as you know a contractor, but you know uh, remodel guy. I did not have any real experience with uh, the feds. My my dad did, you know, he's an environmental consultant, and so I got a little bit of experience there how the, the feds work. And this is the same playbook. This playbook is, is the same game with, with anything. And I will say that the other group that you were talking about took the FAA at their word. And I will say, uh, you know, we did that with our Kappa early on. Remember that? Oh, okay. And I'll take you for your yeah. Sounds good. We're going to do that. But it, it took only about six months to, for us to figure out that uh, that was a bunch of crap. That whatever they said, that was it wasn't worse. Um, wouldn't hold any water. That bucket had a hole in it, multiple holes, and uh, so I wasn't going there. 
personally. I think that uh, other groups have taken them at face value. Oh, okay, you know, yeah, you know, we'll take you on your word, blah, blah, blah. Psh, repeatedly, that's been a disaster. Anyway, this, um, this special edict, I, I do want to say that uh, all of the groups kind of come together. You know, you have AMA, RCAPA, RC groups, um, some of the other forms or whatever. And people are really taking the bull by the horns um, as far as trying to get the word out there. And I just checked over there at the comment page, the federal comment page, and there are over 23,000 comments about the special rule. One thing with this, uh, this the edict, um, that is, as far as the FAA is concerned, is from what I've seen in, in interviews and whatever else, that that's, that's the law. That's as far as they're concerned, that's an effect. So this isn't yeah. really like an NPRM where you get to comment. But I still think that it's worth it. It would be nice if we had those 23,000 comments going to people's federal elected representatives. And I would suggest that if you're listening, that you go to one of those pages, find some of those that um, – uh, boilerplate that's in there or craft your own and send it to your Congress people, House and Senate members and say, hey man, what gives? I know I, I plan on doing that too in my spare time. I don't have to start typing in my sleep because it's getting crazy, but uh, you know, you got to say, hey man, uh, you know, may, mainly my, my thing is, is where's the data? You, you know, where's the data that, that, that suggests that this is a problem and I need to do something? You know what it reminds me of, Gene, is uh, you remember in this, I'm, I know you remember the 70s, um, you know, I was just a kid, but uh, I know that you recall. No, uh, the, okay, remember, rubbing it. Go ahead. I know, rubbing it. Well, you know, now in the seventies, remember when uh, you know you had like and close encounters and and all that UFO stuff. Remember how many times pilots were reporting UFOs? Yes. I mean, it was all over I do, the news. I do happen to remember that. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember, too. I mean, you know, it was just kind of the whole space thing at the late 70s. And, oh, man, UFOs everywhere and Bigfoot and all the rest of that. Pilots weren't seeing Bigfoot. But they were seeing UFOs. And it's, it's like the same thing with drones now. If anybody sees anything, you know, uh, oh, my God, it was a drone, you know. But then when you well, go back. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, actually, that, that brings up that, that latest uh, piece that was issued by the FAA on reporting. I mean, that whole document um, is kind of a lead-up to the enforcement part of it, but what really kind of disturbed me about the whole thing is they wanted to report not only suspicious activity that could be conducted in, uh, the, in, a, in a hijack situation, but they also included unmanned aircraft in the, in the same document. So... We ended up being compared, you know, hijackers and unmanned aircraft in the same document. You know, if you see anything suspicious like this, report it to us. Yeah, well, it's sensationalism. But I, I think the other thing is, is they're, they're going off of this deal. So, I mean, the, the, the train's coming off the tracks. And I really think, you know, I've been saying this one for years, too. By the time this whole unmanned aircraft thing is over, people are going to be retiring. And I think people will Agreed. be retiring quick because they're going to find out that, you know, there were opportunities to do things uh, that would have, let's say, been more cost-effective, uh, timely, things like that. I mean, again, you know, first mishap that happens. I'm not blaming it on some chucklehead that uh, bought something off of the Internet and flown it around. I'm, I'm blaming that right on the FAA. You had ample, you've had years, they have had, not you, but they have had years to get their arms around this thing. It's just been one catastrophe after another. 
Now, I did want to talk about the special edict. I, I called this coming out of the ark, and I know that I'm, I'm sure I told you many times, and I have talked about it and put it out there, that this is exactly the way that the FAA, the only way the FAA could move forward and enforce the commercial drone rule. Basically, with the edict, what's going to happen, for those of you who haven't heard the deal, what's going to happen is, is anybody who's not flying on an AMA field is now going to be suspect. And that's just all there is to it. So any, oh, okay, well, you know, we're going to have FAA people out there. No, they're going to have to enlist law enforcement. How do you enlist law enforcement in the, in the enforcement effort? Well, you're going to have to free up some COAs. You know, you're going to have to let, you know, let's say these first responders in place, whatever, have a easier route to the COA process or to be able to use this technology. And that's exactly what's going to come out. I think what you're going to kind of see in November or December, if the NPRM comes out, you're going to see it kind of uh, focused on the first responder, let's say government user going first. They'll know the rules of the road. They'll know how the COA thing works. They'll know how the certification thing works. They see somebody out there flying around out that's not on an AMA field. They will know what to ask for. Do you have your permission? And what is that permission? Is it written or is it my word? I don't know a lot of cops that take my word on things, but, you know, not my word personally, but, you know. <laughs> oh, no, I'm the, they, the bank manager told me I could take whatever I wanted. You know, I'm, I'm cool. So, and that's how this, this thing's going to line up. That's how they're going to do the enforcement, and the NPRM's going to come out. And because people are like, oh, go ahead and try and catch me. Well, that's how it's going to work. And that's how it's been working all along with the DOD guys wanting to uh, get out, go out of the gate first and go out there. And the game's been, this is the whole rigged game for years. This is how the deal's been going down. And I will say that even this edict that came out was talked about in the ARC. You know, Artie Williams stood up in the ARC during the small UAS ARC and said, ATO is going to write the rules for uh, RC hobbyists. And, uh, you know, I got that meeting shut down because I said, that's, that's, you know, what do we, <laughs> what have we been doing over here for the last six or seven months? We've been sitting in this committee and been working on these uh, RC regs and, and all the rest of that, and you're just going to come in here and, you know, lay out this edict that, that uh, the FAA is going to make the rules. And this is basically exactly what they wanted to do, you know. Uh, they didn't want any flying a Class B five miles from an airport. Um, they didn't really know about the FPV thing at the time. Uh, they kind of did, kind of didn't understand it. Still, the FAA thinking is who in their right mind would want to do FPV. And uh, I say, well, you know, it's a guy that doesn't want to spend ten thousand dollars on a license. You know, fifty to five hundred thousand dollars on a plane. Um, you know. The, the, this is the virtual generation, and those people are out there, and they want to fly FPV. I mean, you know, what, what do you think, Gene? Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. The uh, the 3D full immersion capability is there. Uh, it's become readily available. And, uh, you know, if I was a gamer, you know, at that age, uh, and I did my share of gaming, but uh, if I had that capability to go out and do it 3D, I think I'd be saving my allowance and mowing my lawns and, and getting that so I could get one of those too. So I understand it. I get it. Because as a pilot, there is, there is nothing better than flying as far as I'm concerned. But, you know. Well, I mean, you could just do it a lot cheaper, and it's something that's, um, you know, less involved. 
So there, you know, there's that appeal. <clears throat> the other thing that I think is kind of funny, you know, is they're down on this FPV thing, but you know, that's how you fly Raven. You know, yep, I mean, usually sure scan eagles, scan eagles flown in a shelter. The whole deal makes no sense. So you're going to say, okay, well, a hobby can't can have a, a buddy box and have his observer and fly around, but the, the guy with the, the, the Raven or Puma or Scan Eagle can be inside the shelter, and he's okay with a guy outside. He's not even connected with a, you know, a court. The whole deal, it, it, it's bizarro. Um, I mean, really, the community, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by uh, what I'm seeing, people kind of you know, circle in the wagons or whatever else, so you've got to jump up and just say, uh, no way, Jose. Not, <laughs> this is just, go back to the drawing board and get it together, because uh, it's just not working. I don't think, I just don't see anything coming out of this working. And what, you know, kind of leads me into the next story, because Gene said I just came back uh, from overseas and was over at the Farnborough Air Show, which uh, is, a, is a great air show, and people should go over there if they can and at least see that, or the Paris Air Show. And, you know, while mentioning the Paris, I'm going to have to tell you that London, and I, and I, never, I never thought I would ever say this in a million years, but London makes Paris look like a bargain. As far as expense, it's crazy. Yeah, the exchange rate is is pretty rough. You know, I was stationed over there in the military, and even back then, you know, back, you know, hundred years ago, as you say, uh, <laughs> the exchange rate was a dollar seventy eight, and I think it's uh, still at, at like a dollar sixty eight. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, when, when you have to, when they say, you know, oh, it's twenty pounds for breakfast, well. <laughs> Okay, that's 40 bucks for, you know, an over-easy egg and a glass of orange juice. Well, and some beans and weenies, you know. I didn't, I, uh, I went in there to check out the hard tack before I laid down the 20 pounds for breakfast, you know. Oh, no, no, you have bangers and mash, not beans and weenies, you have bangers and mash. Well, whatever. It looked like beans and weenies to me, but I, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't not partake in the twenty-pound breakfast. It was uh. just too, too much for me. You know, I'm not that um, bougie, as they say. But well, because anyway. you thought it was twenty pounds of food, right? Ah, you Americans. <laughs> That's right. I like to put on the feed bag. Um, but it was good. I did. Uh, it was interesting to go out there and talk to people uh, and get a different view. Uh, especially, you know, we're all native English speakers, so that was kind of good. I got to meet Gary uh, for the first time, for anybody who didn't know that. That's right. I mean, Gary had been doing the SUS News now for, I guess, around 2009. I'd never met Gary in person. And I figured, uh, you know, it was one reason I really wanted to get over there, because I don't think I'll be in South Africa anytime soon. Yeah. Great guy. Um, you know, we're totally on the same page with all of this. I, uh, again, my hat's off to him too. Puts a lot of effort into this and I, and I've told people this, so people think it's like a shameless plug, but I, I have to say it and I'll say it again, that the SUS news and the effort that Gary's put into this has probably done more for the global airspace integration than anything else I can think of at any cost with millions of dollars of budget. Nobody's done more than the SUS news. And, you know, for him to be in – and another thing, for him to be in South Africa oh, – I don't know he goes back and forth between South Africa and the U.K. – but for him to be displaced as far as he is away from us, he is very knowledgeable about what is going on over here in the airspace, in the NAS, and the proceedings that are 
occurring with uh, all the agencies, and I think that's that's a pretty amazing accomplishment. So he's got some good sources. Well, that and he's reading the stories. I mean, I'll be honest. I am so spread so thin. I'm not reading all this stuff. I just can't. I just don't even have the bandwidth. But he's reading this stuff. He's reading it all. You yeah. know. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm just spread a little too thin. I was kind of hoping that things would kind of slow down after the expo, but it just it just it just <laughs> it, it's like an avalanche. But it, you know that's okay. We'll we'll get it all done. Um, one thing that I do think you know the uh, the comparison to Farnborough and Paris Air Show is you know Paris is bigger. A little less of a buzz at Farnborough and very light on UAS. Paris Air Show was um, lots of unmanned aircraft. I mean, the Israelis have a pavilion, and and Gene, seriously, they have something for everyone across the spectrum of unmanned aircraft systems. Oh, I believe that. And uh, tons of tons of different companies. Uh, I did hear the last iteration of the show was a little less. Um, let's say populated by uh, smaller manufacturers. But I think that there's two things going on with that. One, talking to the people that were at Farnborough that are English companies, totally upbeat business. You know, we're we're, we're looking at an increase of about a thousand percent business. We're hiring people um, nowhere but up. The CAA UK is great. Uh, those guys, you can, they're, they're really approachable. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking we've got like this medieval, uh, you know, unmanned aircraft systems business climate here in the United States, you know. And then over here, we're, you know, here's an example of how this is all working and this guy is not falling. What is the problem? You know, the FAA will say, oh, it's, you know, their, their airspace isn't like our airspace. But, I mean, we're talking about jobs at Heathrow, man. People are doing jobs at Heathrow with unmanned aircraft. And it's working. Or downtown London or, you know, wherever it's working. Or even at the air show. Well, you did see this week that uh, the CAA came out with uh, another revision to their policy concerning standard air flights for 20 kilos and under. I didn't uh, that was an interesting little yeah it was an interesting little uh, clarification on their part that uh, they're obviously seeing the uh, upswing of unmanned aircraft use and if you're going to be out there in the the hills and the dales and the whales out there in the UK and and you're far removed then they're not going to require you to go through a whole jump through a bunch of hoops uh, to to go do it even commercially which I thought was fantastic. And uh, if you if you want to fly in London, you know, you, if you want to fly in a populated area, then you have to go through some of the certification hoops that are still in place. And that's fine. That's, that's the way it should be. And oh, I, my hat's off to them. Yeah, and, and that's, it just goes right back to the sky's not falling, man. I mean, is that just like I'm saying right now? I mean, if the, you know, where is the data that proves that all of this is so unsafe and there are all these problems? I mean, I know, I realize everybody's risk-averse and they don't want to you know, jeopardize their career or whatever, but I, I also believe that we're on beyond that part or point. The, that big mishap that I talked about is going to be laid directly on their, in their lap. This is your fault. It's their fault because they did a poor job of, of uh, doing anything with regulations. It's their fault because they've done a very poor job of putting out information. I mean, just lately, even the stuff that they're putting out, these, uh, you know, with the, the edict or whatever else, okay, well, you know, they tell you to go get training. 
And, a, a, you know, there's a link to the AMA page, and you look at the education link there, and uh, there's people doing training there, and they're charging money. Right after the FAA said you can't charge any, get any compensation whatsoever. So what's the deal? I mean, you're, are you suggesting, FAA, that people go and, and break the law? <laughs> it's crazy making. Or are you suggesting that somebody should be teaching people for free? Are you suggesting that, that you know, I, I, mean, I, I just don't get it, Gene. It's, it's, uh, the numbers just aren't adding up. So it, it, it seems like a due diligence thing is really missing. Is it missing because, you know, and I'm speculating, but is it missing because people don't understand the technology? Is it missing because people from uh, air, the air traffic organization don't want to come out? Like Artie said, I'm not going out and wasting the taxpayers' money to see um, RC aircraft fly. You know, I'm not going to I think that's money. a red herring there. Uh, I, I, I would have to think that uh, there's a bias Obviously, there's a bias towards manned aircraft, and that's understandable. They've, they've been a manned aircraft agency since their inception, period, end of story. And uh, anything smaller or unmanned has been kind of a incidental sideline, and as we've stated before, we did a pretty good job of managing ourselves and, and keeping things pretty sane, but, you know, the, the technology has changed, and they're they're trying to play catch up, and they're trying to maintain the paradigm that that they've maintained for years, and it's going to be a difficult thing to do. Well, and I agree, and I do think there's a bias. I mean, you know, I don't know if I've expressed that story here on the podcast, but you know, during the arc, um, I was going to take the Cracker Barrel, and if anybody hasn't seen it, you can Google Cracker Barrel UAV, uh, and I thought I was going to be able to fly over here at. Um, the, the Dryden facility, and I got shot down because, you know, I filled out the 10 pages of paperwork, and it was a freak issue, and I could not fly there, but I had to get special dispensation from the AMA Executive Council to fly my commercial system at an AMA field, okay? I go out there, I fly the Cracker Barrel, I take a couple of snaps, yada, 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 uh, and, uh, you know, again, the woman from ATO didn't come out, didn't even send a representative to see uh, my operation. And and again, that was when she said, you know, I'm not going to spend the taxpayer's money or waste it on RC aircraft. You know, and I said, but, you know, I got this commercial system. You know, she said she knew how they operated. I said, oh, well, you know how a commercial operation works. Have you seen me do my operation? No. Oh, okay. So, you know, in other words, I just dropped 1500 or $2,000 of my own money to put on a demonstration for the uh, FAA, and you, you didn't even have the courtesy to send, you know, you didn't come. Okay, you didn't come. I know you're busy, but you didn't even send out a representative. Does that sound like a square game? Does that sound like you're really trying to learn or, or, or figure out a problem? Or does it seem like, you know, hey, I got other things to do and I'm more important? I don't, you know, I don't know. I tried to hold up my end of the bargain. But that's, I think that's another good example of, of uh, how this effort has gone since day one. You know? I got to agree. And, and it's been frustrating. And, you know, the only thing that we can do is we've got to put pen to paper. And we've got to encourage all our listeners to take one of those letters, manufacture your own, produce your own, write it, get it to your elected officials. You, that's the only way we're going to change anything. That's the way our system works. Well, that and uh, I think that you should use the, the uh, special interpretation as a harbinger for things to come. I mean, 
if you really distill this down and, and read read this uh, edict, I mean, the the hobby for non-AMA members is over as you know it. You know, and uh, it's going to kind of go hand in hand with the commercial thing. And if you think you're going to be out here doing this as a business in the beginning, again, I've said this for years and years and years, you know, one, I can't enjoy myself at a hobby where I'm looking over my shoulder all the time. Two, I don't really want to do or be in some business that is outside of federal law. That's me. Eugene, you may be a little bit different. Oh, yeah. I'm an outlaw. <laughs> well, you're from Texas, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. Anyway, well, I appreciate uh, your time today and some uh, explanation about um, the the press release and the dismissal and everything else. Uh, maybe you could just give us you got a you got a go forward that you want to discuss before we sign off. Well, we're really trying to figure out which way to go forward and how we can do this. I mean, we still feel like uh, as a 501c3 nonprofit charity, we don't take any compensation for what we do. Um, we're still kind of caught twixt and tween. Uh, I guess you could say that search and rescue could be my hobby. But, uh, again, it's uh, purposeful intent, I think, is the uh, the term that is used. Are you concerned about, let's say, punitive action? Now that you've kind of, let's say, the story's gone mainstream, are, are, are you a little apprehensive about that? No more so than I was in the past, uh, to be honest with you, Patrick. Uh, we know what, what uh, the capabilities are. Of course, they can send out the letter under general counsel and order cease and desist, and if you continue to do so, they can potentially fine you $10,000. We know they can do that but they have to fine you for careless and reckless operation. And it is, as we've seen in the other case, the, the other case that Brendan handled and that, that ended up getting ruled in his favor was that the agency had to prove careless and reckless. And if you have procedures and if you're following an example and more than anything else, if you have a track record like we have for the last 10 years, it's going to be a difficult thing to prove careless and reckless. So, yeah, there you go. I mean, is it one of the? I, and I, I agree with that. But I mean, you know, you have the potential of you know playing with the eight hundred pound gorilla. You know, or your case being. Remember that old what was it? It was like a Samsonite commercial where the <laughs> the uh, luggage went back off of the belt and it went into the gorilla cage and they'd throw it around. And stuff. You know, I mean. That's I, I will say that I, I don't personally fly because I really I don't uh, I think that you know I've probably ruffled enough feathers that if they got wind of it they would probably turn it into the said federal case. What what do you think? Well, I, I'm going to take a, a a note from Davy Crockett's book. You know, a long time ago he says if you think you're right then go ahead. And uh, if uh, if somebody calls me and says that uh, they have a missing loved one and I can help, um, I think that's right, and I think I should do that. Um, so it may be with an aircraft, it may be with side scan sonar, it may be with my own two feet, but I think that uh, that's right, and I'm going to follow Davy's words and see what happens. All right. Well, my you know coonskin cap is off. You know. Uh, <laughs> 
and uh, to you again. And, uh, you know, thanks again, uh, Gene, and, uh, you know, we'll be talking soon. Uh, hopefully we're going to do another podcast this week. And, um, you know, we'll go from there. But, okay, thanks again, Gene, and uh, see you soon. Y'all take care.